The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Amen. Good morning, my friends. If you've got a Bible, uh, open it up to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you've got a cell phone or a tablet, whatever device that you have that you can get God's Word on, you've got a minute to turn that on, get that open to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be there shortly. First Peter chapter 2. We've been on a journey uh, that we started a while back ago in First Peter, and we've been away from it for multiple weeks for Christmas and New Year's and many different things that have been going on. But as the Lord leads us, we will continue through the book of First Peter until its completion. And we'll continue on that this morning. But before I begin, I, I do want to ask us a question that I believe that the Lord would have not me ask you, but for me to pose before all of us, myself included. And the question is simply, uh, have you humbled yourself before the Lord this week? Uh, wh- whether it was physically, I mean, have you knelt before the Lord? Have you humbled your heart? Have you just even had the thought? Have you... Have you done something? Have you had the thought in your mind, Lord, you are so much greater than I am, and you've given me life, and you've given me a warm walls to stay in? Have you, have you thanked God for your food in a way that you haven't before? Have you, have, you, have you humbled yourself before God this week? And, I, and I'm not asking anybody to raise hands, certainly, but if you haven't, why not? Is He not great enough? Does He not deserve for us to humble our hearts before Him as, as the One who gave us the very breath in our nostrils? Uh, humble yourself, church. We ought to humble ourselves before Almighty God. Today marks the 12th day of our 40-day prayer journey that our church is embarking on. And I don't know about you, but the thing that I have learned through this first 12 days of prayer is that, boy, the day gets away really quick. And it's amazing where I look at the clock and I'm like, my God, it is almost the end of the day and I have not even done my prayer and my journaling and, and I haven't even humbled myself before the Lord. So let us be mindful. Let New Covenant Community Church be a people that is mindful and consistent and not just prayer, but in purposely humbling ourselves before God. The Bible says that he who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And I would love for our church to be a collective group that is a, an exalted people by God because of our humility. So, we're back today talking about the topic of submission. The first part of the book of 1 Peter dealt with many things regarding our identity in Christ, who we are in Him. And the last piece that we left off with was our submission before God, specifically submission to government. In other words, what we said is that Christians ought to pay the right amount of taxes. Christians ought to obey the laws. Certainly, certainly we obey God before we obey man. And if there's ever a law of the government, of the land, that conflicts with what God tells us to do, we obey God first and foremost. That is a given. But we are to submit ourselves to 
governing officials and to governing laws. And the two overarching principles that we learn, not just about submission to government, but about submission in general before God, some things that we learned was that submission is first and foremost before God. It's not necessarily about submitting to government because they deserve it or because they've got the greatest systems and the greatest plans. It's about none of those things. We submit because of God. It is what He has called us to do. Secondly, we also learned another overarching principle that we extrapolated out of the text that we were in previously regarding submission is that God intends to use our submission, church, to reach a lost world. And, and this is powerful. Uh, if you look at verse 12 that we have already covered, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Have your conduct or having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles or among the unbelievers, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God and the day of visitation. So what we said was that some people will glorify God. Their home, their eternal home will be heaven and not hell because of our obedience, because of our submission before God. And what we also said in kind of a funny way was that we, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't know if, I know for me, we don't even really like the word submission. Like if you were to liken the word submission to other words, you would have like, fester and ooze and colonoscopy and just words that we just don't like the sound of they just eh. and, and that's how submission is to us so what i said when we first embarked on this journey through this submission principles that we're learning from the book of first peter is that this is not for the faint of heart i mean the, the rubber will never meet the road more in your faith and in your walk with jesus than when you get in these nitty-gritty things that are really just kind of icky and hard to do sometimes so look to your neighbor and look at him and say are you tough and if you are we're ready for scripture so look to ver look to first peter chapter 2 look to verse 18 verse 18 it says servants be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For we were like stray, you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. If you believe that the Christian ought to form and conform their lives around the Bible, say amen. And if we're ready, let's go back and we'll unpack what it is that God is saying, not about submission to government, but now submission to another authority figure that you and I have in our lives, being employers. And I'll unpack this as we go along. Verse 18 that we've already read. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. 
Now, some people's Bibles probably say slaves. Does anybody's Bible's translation say slaves in there? There, there. Yeah, a few of your Bibles will say slaves in there. And undoubtedly, if you're an obedient Christian, if your life has truly been impacted by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, and you're doing what you ought to be doing, and telling others about this great mercy that you found in Jesus Christ, you will undoubtedly come across people who will say, well, the Bible's an immoral book because it teaches slavery, so therefore I don't believe in it. I mean, you, you will come across people that will say that. And don't beat them over the head with your King James Version Bible. Just you were ignorant once in scriptural things, and so was I, so be gracious to them. And we need to explain to them the differentiation that the Bible makes regarding slavery. And there's basically two types that you'll find in scripture. The first type, which is the type that is forbidden by God, is the type of bondage that the Egyptians had the Israelites in. Okay, this was bondage. The Israelites were in bondage. They were in slavery. They were enslaved by the Egyptians. They got little to no pay whatsoever. There was no contract of agreement for work and goods and, tr and services being traded. There was none of that. These people were clearly in bondage. This type of slavery could be likened to the type of slavery that you and I know of in the American history books that talk about the slavery that we had in America in the 1860 time frame. This was slavery. This was bondage. And this is clearly, clearly, clearly forbidden in Scripture. Luke 10, 1 Timothy 5, Matthew 10, Leviticus 19, just to name a few, all say that the laborer is worthy of their wages. In other words, if somebody works for you, they are worthy to be paid and to be paid well. The Bible even goes further in Deuteronomy 24 and James 5, and it explicitly tells us that if an employer does not pay promptly on time and pay the proper amount, that it is explicitly a sin. For them to do so. So make it clear that that type of slavery, bondage, that is totally, totally forbidden by God. And if you don't believe it simply from the scriptures I referenced, just think about what God did to Egypt. God pummeled Egypt because of them having these people enslaved in this wrongful way. Now, there's this other kind of slavery that you will sometimes in your Bibles hear referred to as bond slavery or a bond servant or a servant or sometimes like just it'll say slave but it's referencing this type of servanthood and this is what first peter 2 18 references servants be submissive to your masters here's the type that this is describing okay it's nothing like the 1860 kind of slavery that you and i know in the history books okay this kind of slavery was very different okay uh so here's an example of what this kind of slavery would look like say a man in bible times say he was even my age he's got a young family and he needs to build a home for his family he saved up so many amount of dollars that he needs to complete the project, but he's short some of the money, and he needs to borrow some money to be able to build this home that he needs to build for his family. And what does he do? Whip out his iPhone and call the nearest mortgage broker. No, he can't do those things. They didn't have such conveniences in those times. What he would do is he would go to the rich man or the rich people, somebody that was in his city that was rich, and they would sit down and they would draw up an agreement. And the rich man would agree to give this man so many dollars, so however much amount of money. And then the other man would agree to work for this man to pay off the debt. He basically would become an employee of this employer. And he was going to give him the money. He was going to agree to work for him in his fields or be a servant in his house or whatever it was that he, this man needed. They would agree to it. It would be written out. They'd sign the contract and it was done. Once the man had worked off his time, he was free to go and do whatever. That was a bond slave or a bond servant. That's the type of 
servanthood that we're reading about here in 1 Peter chapter 2. And this was very convenient in biblical times because they didn't have huge banks and financial institutions like we do today. And we're even seeing some of this type. I've noticed just some people I know in the nursing industry that have used this kind of tactic before. Uh, There'll be a nurse in a hospital and they would like to become a medical doctor, but they don't have the funds necessary to complete medical school. So they'll sit down with the officials in their hospital and say, I'd like to go to medical school, but I don't have the money. Can we make a deal where you pay for it? And once I graduate with my medical doctor's license, I'll agree to work for this hospital as a medical doctor for so many years. And, and that would be an example of a bond slave or a bond servant as we read in Scripture. So when you come across somebody who says, well, the Bible condones slavery, graciously and lovingly tell them about this this differentiation that the bible makes between those two types one that is ordained of god one is that perfectly right and a good deal for both parties and another that is complete bondage so i say all that so that we have the proper picture of first peter chapter 2 look to verse 18 we could read it in our time frame in the day in which we live just the words that we have we could read it like this we could say employees be submissive to your employers with all fear not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Verse 20. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called everyone say the word called for to this you were called so basically what that's saying is we are because of a mindfulness of god of a a, a conscience a consciousness towards god and what he has done for us because of him because of that knowledge we submit ourselves to our employers to our bosses for the reason of it is commendable, it is honorable, it is what we are called to do. And some of you might say, very rightfully, you would say, Pastor Ben, you don't know my boss. You would say, my boss mistreats me, my boss belittles me, my boss underpays me, my boss slanders me and gossips about me, and my boss is not worthy for me to submit to them in that way. And if that is the case, I would probably say to you, you better find a new job and your life is just going to be better if you find a new job. But, but we know that as long as you agree to be their employee, what God has called you to do, because it's commendable, it is what God has called us to do because of a mindfulness that we have of God, what He's called us to do is to be submissive before our employers. And I don't want us to make any bones about this just because this is not a popular text that preachers are preaching this morning in America on Sunday morning, just because this is not real fun to preach about. It kind of makes you cringe. It makes me cringe. We don't even like the word submission. Let us make no bones about it. This is what God has called us to do. And I want us to be clear. If we expect our lives to have the grace and the blessing of God, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about the rich, more than you can ask, abundant blessing of God in ways that God is just exceedingly, abundantly, more than you could ask or think type of blessing. We must submit ourselves to this kind of submission before our bosses, before our employers. There was a captain of a ship who was 
on the night watch and he's looking out into the inky blackness of the night and it was a foggy hazy type of night and he way off in the distance directly in front of they were going directly towards this light he sees lights and he tells the signal man he says signal that ship out there and tell them to alter their course 10 degrees to the north so the signal man gets on alter your course 10 degrees to the north and just a moment later it comes back on the radio from the lights they're seeing it says alter your course 10 degrees to the south and the captain not used to being disrespected like this he grabs the radio himself and he says i'm the captain alter your course 10 degrees to the north a moment later it comes across the radio the man says i'm a third-rate sailor i'm telling you to alter your course to the south 10 degrees and now furious the captain says this is a battleship I'm commanding you to alter your course 10 degrees to the north. A moment later, it comes across. This is the lighthouse. I'm telling you to alter your course 10 degrees to the south. Church, if we in our lives, because here's what we know. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If we expect our lives to keep on floating in a merry little fashion, We need to realize that God is not going to move simply because we feel like He ought to move around us. No. When He says, direct your course 10 degrees to the south, the answer ought to be, yes and amen, Lord. Yes and amen. And we alter our course. Otherwise, we will crash in an unfriendly, very ugly type of way in life. And I don't know what that means. In God's sovereignty, God calls His people to crash all the time. All I'm saying is I know through the authority of God's Word and my own life, but first and foremost, through God's Word, we know that it goes well with people. Not always, but, but God seeks those who are fearing Him, who are listening to what He is saying and conforming their life around the instructions that He's given us in life. If we want to keep on floating, let's conform our life around him so if you're taking notes you could write this down this is what we're this is the question that arises for all of us for you and for me this morning do you trust god enough to obey him even when you don't understand his reasoning even though you think the light up ahead is just another boat that needs to alter its course 10 degrees to the north are you willing to trust god's word enough to obey him young people that are, are at home with parents, and even adult people that are moved out and not with parents, do, do we trust God enough to obey Him by honoring our parents, even when it doesn't make sense to us? Because that's what God has called us to do. Married people, unmarried people, God is so clear, inextricably clear in His Word, that marriage is between one man and one woman. And that sex is only to be had inside the constitution, inside the union of marriage. Do we trust God enough to obey Him in that? Even when it doesn't make sense to us. Even when it doesn't make sense to the culture. We just think, what could be wrong with this? Does it make sense to us? It doesn't matter. Do we trust God enough to obey Him? Even when we don't understand His reasoning. One time Daisy broke a toy and it broke off into small pieces. She was younger than she is now. She still is in the age where she's putting things in her mouth all the time. And, and she was playing with this toy, was loving it. Even when it was broken, she was still loving it. But it broke off into little pieces that I was afraid she was going to choke on. 
So I took the toy away, and she's just, Wah! I mean, she just melts, you know, just as a conniption. She just totally melts. And, which, and the reason that she did is because of the gap between her understanding and my understanding. She doesn't know that now what she's playing with is now dangerous, and I'm, and I'm protecting her from those things. And, and the reason that she has a hissy fit is because of the huge gap between my understanding and what can happen and her lower understanding. Could it be that the things that you and I throw a hissy fit about that we don't understand, God is keeping us from things, protecting us from things because of the gap between our understanding and His understanding. There was a young boy one time who was learning how to shoot a rifle. His uncle was teaching him. And, uh, and, and uncle was clear. He says, now when you shoulder this rifle, you make sure your eye is, is about five or seven inches away from the edge of the scope. Don't, don't put your face up by that scope. Or when you pull the trigger, it's not going to end well for you. And, uh, and, and this little boy's looking through the scope, and, and he can't quite see through the scope very clearly when his eye is far away from it. So he thought, well, if I just bring my eye just up a little bit closer, I can see through the scope so much easier. And some of you who are country folk and already know what I'm talking about, the boy pulls the trigger and pow, just right in the eye, hits him, oh, big bruise right there. And, and, uh, and, and, and that young boy may or may not, be a grown man whose name is Ben Sweeterman now, but the, <laughs> I only made the mistake once. I'm a good shot now, but church, do we, do we trust God that he knows what he's doing? Do you? I mean, whether or not the proof will be in the pudding of our lives of whether or not we trust him, if we obey him, if we obey him, it's proof that we trust him. If we disobey Him, it's proof that we don't trust that He has this, that He has the proper order in life, that He understands what we are called to do, that when we cause us to submit to our employers, it doesn't make sense to us. We don't see that this employer deserves it, any of those things. Do we trust that God has it between His great understanding and the lack of ours? So if it were to simply end there, for to this you were called, verse 21, part A, if it simply ended there, that would be enough for us. We just, we need to say yes and amen, Lord. And that should be, I mean, when the Lord gives New Covenant Community Church marching orders, the answer should be yes and amen. I mean, we should just do it. I mean, that's all it is. But because of God's great graciousness and probably because he knows our hearts are the way they are, in verse 21, part B, he starts to unfold this and give us the answer. Look to it now. It says, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin. He's now quoting Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Who committed no sin. Jesus committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously what we know from this church is that we model jesus by graciously committing ourselves to the father and once you've written that down we model jesus by graciously committing ourselves to the father you can underline graciously and then re-underline it and then trace it out again graciously because here's what to notice church is that jesus had all the ammunition that he needed to totally, completely, and utterly justify annihilating all of the people that crucified him. The people that ripped out his beard, that beat him with the cat of nine tails, that drove the spikes through his hands and feet. He had, every, he had all the power, he had every right to totally wipe them off the face of existence and to utterly destroy them for eternity. He had every right. He had all the ammunition that he needed. But what did he do? 
He committed Himself to the Father who judges righteously. You and I, church, when we go through our lives, we will have employers and situations and relationships where people will hurt us, and then at some point in time, we will have all the ammunition that we need to get back at them, to to slander them, to gossip them, and to make their day hard, ruin them, help, I mean, just, just make their day a living hell. We, have, we will at times have all the ammunition that we need, but what are we called to do? We're called to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and to submit ourselves, to commit ourselves over to Him who judges righteously. And there's two main reasons that I'll give you for that. Both of them are great reasons, one of which I would say is the greater reason. I'll give you the lesser first. The first great reason is found in Romans 12, verse 19, where it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Don't get revenge. Don't get back at people that have hurt you, be it bosses or anyone else. Don't, don't avenge yourselves. But rather, give place or make room to wrath, for God's wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So in life, when you are hurt by someone and you've got all the ammunition that you need to really just get them, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, God says. You want them to be repaid? Let me do it. No amount of you getting back to them could even match the resources and the power and the ability that God has to get back at the people who have wounded you and hurt you and caused you deep harm. So that's one great reason why when people have hurt us and employers have difficult and, and we're trying to walk it out faithfully, the great reason is to simply commit it to God because vengeance is His and He will take care of it. Now here's the second reason and this is the great reason. This is, I would say, the greatest reason of the two. Look now to verse 24. It says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers, an overseer, of your souls so here's the picture church and we'll make this connection in just a couple seconds jesus has all of these sinners lost people around him and him even though he had all the ammunition that he needed to totally annihilate them because he committed himself to the father there was a direct correlation between him committing himself to the father and the salvation of the people around him and what this scripture is telling us is that we model the same thing. Your submission to God may lead to the salvation of others. There's sinners around us in our workplace. There's lost people in our context, in our sphere of influence in life. There's lost people who without Christ will spend eternity in hell. And, and whether or not some of those people are saved, hinges on whether or not you submit yourself to the Lord in some of these areas. And when I read that, that, that makes it a weighty thing. It's no longer something of God just wanting me to be a more obedient Christian that looks more this way on Sunday. No, this is whether or not some people will come to know the Lord of whether or not we submit to God in this way. Brian, if you would come now and minister with music. Church, I want you to think for just a brief moment. 
who did God put in your life that drew you to the cross? Who did God put in your life that taught you the Bible? Was it a parent, a Sunday school teacher, a grandparent, a friend, an aunt or an uncle? Where would you be today if it wasn't for them obediently following what it was that God had called them to do in all sorts of facets and avenues in life? Where would you be? I know where you'd be. You probably wouldn't be here. And you'd be lost like most of this world is without Christ. So church, our obedience, our submitting to God in these, these difficult ways, these things that are just kind of, ah, they, I had a conversation with a man this week who I know is going through some tough things at work. And after our conversation, I was just so impressed by the fact that, man, he's, just, he's marching. He, he's taking the, the yes and amen approach to, I, I've got to do this right thing. This is an authority figure. The, the, the influence of, of my life emanating out to other people is going to be impacted of whether or not I make my steadfast march before the Lord and saying yes and amen, Lord. That is the response that my prayer, oh my God, it's my prayer for our church. That we would be a people when God gives the orders in His Word that we say yes and amen, Lord. I don't think I can do it, God, but yes and amen. God, I don't have the resources, but yes and amen. God, this doesn't make any sense to me or anybody in the culture, but yes and amen. Are you willing to do that, church? Because I know for us, for you and me, when our salvation was at stake, our redemption, our forgiveness was at stake, and Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Lord, if there is any other way to achieve salvation for a lost and dying people that don't deserve our grace, if there's any other way, let this cup that's coming to me, let this crucifixion, the Roman crucifixion, let this cup pass from me. We'll do any other way. But not my will, Father. Yours be done. That's the model that we are to follow. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Father, God, you've been so gracious. And Jesus, we just want to say thank you this morning for all those years ago when you were praying in that place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And your disciples and your followers were just, just a short distance off and you're, you're on your face before the Father. And Jesus, I'm just so glad that, that you decided to do what it took to save me. You were going to do no matter what it took. No matter what it took, you were going to complete it. Father, would you give us a heart this morning? that would say, Father, no matter what it takes, no matter what it takes, the people within my sphere of influence need to know You, otherwise they will be lost. Give us a heart like that this morning, God. To love them enough to tell them the truth, to point them to the cross, to show them the way of Christ. In the difficult times, God, when when we feel like talking back, when we feel like gossiping and slandering. God, give us a heart that loves people enough to take our orders from You, to submit to You. And let it yield a harvest, God. Use our obedience greatly.
for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I'll remain up here at the front once our service is completed. At this time, we're going to sing and respond in our hearts to the Lord. Brian, if you'd lead us.